Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right, so today we get to conclude this, uh, this little series we're in called Bridge, and we have... Uh, we learned that you're a new creature, and you're called to be a preacher, not necessarily a pastor, um, but you are called to be a proclaimer of the gospel, to persuade people about the truth of Jesus Christ. And yesterday, we, we talked about it, that you're a bridge, so you need to strategically connect with the, with the lost. And maybe you left yesterday just a little bit frustrated. Like, how does this work practically, though? I mean, the good news is every time God calls us to do something, he gives us clear commands on how to do it. And while we did see in 1 Corinthians 19 kind of the philosophy of bridge building, the abstract concepts of what it means to connect the lost world to a holy God, some of you take notes and crayons. And abstract just is not going to cut it for you. So you need something concrete. And I say that because I'm one of those people. I need an example. I need a pattern to look after. That's what we're going to look at today, the pattern of bridge building. And we, d- we just briefly uh, mentioned Jesus. Uh, if we're going to talk about building a bridge, he is the uh, quintessential. He is the penultimate bridge. And so we can look at his life and learn exactly how. In fact, he, he gives us a pattern on how to reconcile the lost world to a holy God. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. This is a familiar um, Bible account of Jesus and uh, the the Samaritan woman. If you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, it's kind of a lengthy text today. But we're going to take uh, little by little and try to uh, glean what we can. Your big idea at the top of your study guide is this. A bridge brings a lost person to friendship, to faith, and to fellowship, right? So probably if you've been involved in in one of our churches in the Living Faith Fellowship, this is probably not a foreign concept to you, Uh, but it's something for my church that was um, revelatory and and really kind of um, relieving to them to be able to think about not carrying the sign, the end is near, or not uh, coming up to cold you know, cold calls or door knocking on people you don't know. And all those are, are, are good ways of training. And if you don't do anything else, at least do that. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that cold. And so we're going to talk today about bringing a lost person to friendship and then to faith and then to fellowship following the pattern that Jesus leaves for us in John chapter 4. So can, uh, can we just read the, the first few verses here in John chapter 4? Uh, we'll re- just read the first couple verses to get us started. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. And I just want to pause right here. This is a, a huge statement that I don't want you to miss. It says Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. But the way that he did that was by equipping his disciples to. Did you notice that in verse 2? That it said, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. 
See, nobody is a better evangelist. No one could more clearly articulate and more make, make it more relevant to the person than Jesus himself. He is, he is the best. He knows everything. He knows the word. He knows their lives. We'll see today, he masterfully takes uh, the conversation about physical things that he's in, and he turns that thing on its edge to talk about spiritual things. No one's better than Jesus, but the thing about evangelism and the pattern that Jesus leaves us isn't that the most articulate person should really share the gospel, and the rest of us should just celebrate that guy. We should just follow him around and be in awe of how great he is at evangelism. No, instead, Jesus equips his disciples to reach people, to disciple, to baptize. And this is really at the heart of our philosophy of ministry, that God doesn't just want to work through a pastor. Every member should be a minister. God has a whole body that he is equipped and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did God give you the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts 1-8 tells us. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be a witness of all the things that that Holy Spirit is. And, and there's a lengthy, uh, there's, a, there's a list there that, of all the things that he is to us, a promise, an inheritance, God dwelling within us. But primarily, he helps us to reach the lost. He empowers us to do so. So the health of a church is not in a pastor who's able to reach lots of souls. It's in a pastor equipping and mobilizing his people to then go out and win souls. So you are called to be part of this. It's, it's not just as we see Jesus, don't, don't get in your mindset, well, I'll just leave it to those pros who are really good at this. Because even the people that we would call pros, most of them don't think they're very good at it. So let's keep reading in, in verses 3 uh, through 9. He says, He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Oh, I'm sorry. I said let's read those. Can I just pause there for a second? After he's making all these disciples and they're being baptized, he's seeing huge results, right? In the circle that he was in, he had results, and he could have just rested in those victories and said, man, praise the Lord for those. That have let's just stop right here. Let's hang out here. And this is... Judea is going great, let's say here. But no, he, he leaves there. He says in verse 4, And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the, the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journeys, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So let me give you your first blank. It's this. The first step is obvious. Like Extend your friendship. We're going to talk about friendship, faith, fellowship. These are not going to be uh, really difficult blanks for you, right? So extend friendship to people. Don't just stay in the circles you are. Maybe you've, you've already reached some people in your circles where you are. And you've gone through the list of your friends and your family, and you've shared the gospel, and some of them have been saved, and some of them, uh, they said, quit talking to me about that. I don't want to hear it anymore. So you just keep praying for them, and when the opportunity arises, you say, you just ask, do you, do you want to 
hear what the Bible says about that. Do you want to hear what God did in my life? But Jesus wasn't content with the people that he'd won to Christ. And maybe as you think through the fact that, yes, I led somebody to the Lord. I, I led my brother to the Lord. I, I led my employer to the Lord. I, I led my coworker or my neighbor to the Lord. All right, I'm good, right? I, I am better than 95% of uh, U.S. Christians who never lead anybody to the Lord. Hallelujah. But Jesus is the model that says, go out. You may have to expand to find some new circles. So he leaves Judea. And he says he must needs go through Samaria. So let me give you your first bullet in this point. It's make friends with socially unsimilar people. As you look to uh, be a witness and to look for lost people, and you realize you're a bridge, make friends with socially unsimilar people. Jesus said he must go through Samaria. And if you kind of know the history, uh, we don't have time to go into a lot of history. In fact, it's, it's debated among um, students of the Bible, who exactly these Samaritans are precisely, but they are for sure looked down on by the Jews. They're despised by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds who compromised, and they intermarried with Gentiles, and they corrupted their Israelite heritage and ethnicity. They were, you see, dogs were unclean, but those Samaritans were seen as even worse than dogs. And I don't have a map for you today, but if you've seen a map of this area of Jesus's time there, Galilee is in the north and Samaria is underneath it. And then Judea, where Jerusalem is below that. And so as he's leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee, the quickest route is through Samaria. But most Jews wouldn't go that way. They would even go into the Gentile area across the Jordan so that they wouldn't have to be with the Samaritans. That's how much they were looked down upon. But Jesus said... In the gospel, it says he must needs go through Samaria. And we can be remembered of what we saw yesterday, that it's necessary for him to share the gospel. It's not an option. Necessity is laid upon him. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, where Paul said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. It was necessary for Jesus to establish meaningful contact with unsimilar people in order to bridge, uh, build a bridge to them. And so it's equally important for Jesus' body, us, the church, to do the same. Can you think of unsimilar people? Who's unsimilar to you? Who in your community, do you, just, you just don't really go into the same restaurants, you don't shop at the same stores, you don't play, at the, same, you don't play the same sports, you have different music, you just don't hang out with them. Maybe you... Maybe you kind of look down on them. Maybe they got a frustrating culture to you. Who's that lost demographic? That most Christians, most people of God, wouldn't even walk through their neighborhood. Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. And so we got to make friends with socially unsimilar people. The next bullet is make friends with spiritually unlikely people. We'll find out about this, this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, but it, it says in verse 6 that she came to the well at the sixth hour. They counted hours so like it's from sunrise. It's about 6 a.m., so this is, this is like high noon, right? One of the things I've learned, at high noon in Kansas City, it's hot. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of the same in uh, the Middle East. And the custom certainly was that women would draw water, but... 
Usually you would do that in the cool of the evening or maybe in the very early morning before it gets too hot. Why is this woman here by herself, all alone, at the worst time of the day to draw water? Well, we'll find out that she's an outcast. And she's a woman of reputation, but not a good reputation, of ill repute. And Jesus is going to expose that later. He comes to the well. This is fascinating in verse 6. Do you ever just read the word and you just kind of, it takes you a minute to take it all in. You know, if you just keep reading, you don't think about it. You don't meditate on it. You can miss so much. But it says in verse 6 that Jesus being wearied with his journey. This kind of blows our mind. This is the almighty in flesh, right? But somehow God being 100% God, or Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, he, he was able to be wearied. In the Bible, he's, he's able to be hungry. He endured the weaknesses of man and the temptations of man, yet without sin. So consider this. Uh, have you ever been in those places where you meet? Uh, for me, it's the airplane. I'm about to get on an airplane. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to take out my Bible. And I'm going to read it. And usually there's going to be some kind of question, some kind of conversation that comes out of this. You know what I mean? It's the worst time. I hate being on an airplane talking to people right? You're like really close to them and you, you, you can't really turn your face. They ate some kind of really pungent food before they got on. It's terrible. And you're afraid, you know, you fell asleep for the first five minutes and you're afraid you got coffee breath. Jesus is wearied with his journey, but he doesn't allow that to stop him from being a witness. And do you know, oftentimes we will find this is the worst time possible but Jesus gives us a divine appointment, someone that we can extend friendship to. And so this is what he does in verse 7. He says, give me to drink. Now, I know we live in the 21st century, and the time of women empowerment, we might read this as shockingly demeaning, like make me a sandwich, woman. <laughs> but that's not how it was received in the first century. In the first century, it was still shocking, but it wasn't demeaning because this is not a command to belittle her, but a gesture to, to reach out to her, to build a bridge to her. You know, men in that time, they didn't speak to women. They wouldn't even speak to their wives in public. Some of you are trying to be like those Middle Eastern men. <laughs> speak to your wives. Rabbis, certainly, we find from Luke chapter 7 and verse 39 that rabbis certainly did not speak with immoral women. And we find out in verse 9 of this same text that Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. Yet Jesus asked this woman for a drink. For a drink from what? Okay. So, short story. When I was, uh, I, I grew up in St. Louis, but I had great grandparents who lived in the sticks in Alabama. And we visited them one time, and on their porch, maybe you've seen this before, they had like a bucket of water with a uh, ladle in it. And it, whenever, it, when somebody gets thirsty, they don't go in and get a glass of water. They just take that ladle, and they drink out of it, and they put it back in the ladle, or back in the bucket. It's disgusting. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I don't drink after anybody. If you knew me, this is like a joke for my friends. I, I don't drink after anybody. I don't drink after my wife. Like, it's, to me, it's disgusting. Not her. Just drinking after people. I got to get back on track here. So this, he's, he's willing to, he asks for a drink, and you know what? She's just got a vessel. 
He's this, maybe you're not feeling it like, as Alan Shelby would say, you're not feeling me like I need you to be feeling me. <laughs> Jesus was willing to drink from the same vessel as an immoral woman of Samaritan. Think about this. This Jewish Messiah, the Holy One, the sinless male is extending friendship to an immoral Samaritan woman. And it is shocking. And you can tell by her response. Look back at verse 9. She asked, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Yesterday we learned you got to develop common ground with lost people by becoming as them. And this is what we see Jesus living out for us. This is, he's illustrating the pattern from the philosophy that we're given yesterday. Jesus goes into her country. He sits at her well. He engages her in a conversation and relationship. Jesus both figuratively and literally meets her where she is. That's what we're called to do. This is what it means to be a bridge. It means meeting people where they're at. It means seeing what's disgusting or what's repulsive or what's disdain to you and laying that down for the sake of the gospel and extending friendship to people who you aren't like or you think aren't even interested in the gospel. And if they're not, they'll tell you. And then it's okay. You can move on. Maybe you can continue praying for them. Maybe it's a, just a quick acquaintance like he's having here. But we have to extend friendship. And the second the second step is, is, you already know what it is, right? Number two is express your faith. It's not enough to just be friends with people. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, not your friendship. All we're doing is trying to build a bridge so that the gospel can, tra can uh, transport across it. So if we read verse 10, together it says, the woman, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time reading here. Says Jesus answered and said unto her for her question of why, why are you speaking to me? If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. So the first thing, your first bullet in this section is to look for open doors for the gospel. Look for open doors from the gospel. Jesus is the master of this, turning the conversation. He turns it from physical water to living water. I mean, it's, it's so smooth. And I'm just going to tell you, my gospel presentations are never that smooth, <laughs> right? Uh, but we learned yesterday, you got to deliver custom presentations of the gospel. This one is certainly custom to this woman, and we'll, we'll see it. As much as possible, Try to get the gospel to where it's relevant to their life, to how God's dealing with them already. But here's a hint for you. Don't allow some desire for a perfect segue to hinder you from sharing the gospel. Because the power is not in your wise use of it. Although we ought to study to be wise like Jesus was, it is our vocation. We are ambassadors for Christ. So we ought to become good at it. But if you can't find a perfect segue, it's okay. Maybe just share your testimony. Maybe just share, this is what God did in my life. Or can I ask you who you believe Jesus is? Those are lots of questions that you could ask, lots of beginnings to this conversation. But sometimes you got to just look for an open door. And one, another hint for you is listen for questions. 
because she's asking a question. Why is it that you're listening to me? How is it that thou being a Jew? Listening for questions, that's what we can tell, man, when there's a question, uh, th their mind is open, maybe even their heart. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Listen, there, there may not be uh, the question, why are you talking to me based on my heritage or my race? Maybe it's a different kind of question. The, lots of questions can be open doors for the gospel. Why are you not afraid? How is it that you're not so upset about this? How do you put up with your boss? Why are your kids so good? How do you and your wife get along so well? Those are questions, right? You know, we, Pastor Shelby uh, told us about punctuation uh, last night. So those are questions. They end with a question mark, right? But uh, here's, don't get too hung up if it's not a grammatical question. Sometimes people say things that show an openness in their heart, but it's not a question that ends with a question mark, right? And instead of it saying, uh, you know, why are you not afraid? I, man, I would be freaked out if I was you. So those statements reveal a, a question. And 1 Peter 3.15 says to give them an answer of the hope that's within you. So this is key for you. As they ask questions about you at work or your family or your kids or your emotions, answer with what is your hope. That's Christ. Always make the answer about the gospel, not about politics. Well, let me tell you the reason why. Not about parenting strategies or, you know, whether you vaccine or you don't vaccine. Man, don't get caught up in all that stuff. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're not an ambassador of a political party or social views or health. It's the gospel that's got to be central. So in the context of speaking the truth in Christ, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, with all praying for us. Man, that's a big deal. Get people praying for you. You're going to be a witness. You're going to try and build a bridge to lost people and share the gospel. Get people praying for you. And Paul says, with all just means with everybody. You, you all together in Colossae, would you all pray for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which also I am in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now check this out. He's going to tell you how to do this. How to speak the mystery of Christ as you ought to. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Know who they are. Be wise. And he says, redeeming the time and let your speech be all way with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to what? Answer every man. As they're asking questions, or maybe not even a grammatical question, but they're, they're stating things that show an openness, an interest. Man, let your speech be always with grace, full of grace. And then you just season in the salt. Did you know Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are to be the witness. But listen, you, you can be lots of gracious. You don't have to hit them with your gospel bazooka as soon as they ask a question. This is, this, I'm honest, that's my problem. I'm not good at the relationship part. And I started, oh no, I got an opportunity for the gospel. Here's the gospel grenade. <laughs> no, man. Be always with grace, season with salt. Simmer down. 
Listen, there are gonna be some relationships that, that you've got a long time to cultivate. Your family, you'll probably have a long time. So you can be even a little more patient and walk in wisdom. Be wise about how much time you got in the setting that you're in, what's going on in their life. And then there are some relationships that are almost like passing acquaintances. And you can't build a relationship for weeks. In fact, all the bridges that we see being built are pretty quick. Here, Jesus, in a matter of minutes, extends friendship, shares the gospel, and brings her into a fellowship of believers. So let me give you your next bullet. Explain how the gospel meets their need. And sometimes we miss this because we share the gospel, but we're not really making it relevant to their life. We're not really applying it to the question or the situation that they're going through. And you can tell that this woman's, let's just read verses 11 through 15 together. Verse 11 says, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. You can tell at the beginning this woman's comments are cynical, right? You, you can sense the sarcasm because she's laying it on pretty thick. Thou hast nothing to draw with. From whence hast thou then this living water? Then she asked him in verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? You think you're better than him? You know, when you share the gospel, you're going to get a lot of sarcasm. You're going to get, little, you're going to get cynicism. You're going to get criticism. But Jesus just sidesteps all that. He doesn't even address it. He doesn't condemn her for it. He doesn't respond in kind. And he could. But instead, he, he shows how the gospel is relevant to her. Shows her how this living water, see, she's kind of skeptical about it. I mean, he shows her why it's important to her. And one of the most beautiful contrasts between the physical water and the living water is, is that the water from the well, and it had to be drawn out. She had to come and draw. But, but he emphasizes that the water that was the living water was a gift of God, he said in verse 10. And then he says in verse 10 that he would have given thee living water. You don't have to draw it yourself. In verse 14, it says, the water that I shall give thee. He says it twice. He's, he's emphasizing to her, you're thinking it's all about works. But let me tell you, it's a gift that I'll give you. This water is different. Not only that it's temporary and you're going you're gonna to get thirsty again, but living water will satisfy you for eternity. But also, it's not based on what you can do. It's a gift of God. We've got to explain how the gospel meets their need. And it meets her need so much that she says, Sir, give me that water. That's exactly what I need. And listen, maybe you don't realize it right now. 
Maybe you get kind of distracted by the things going on in people's lives, the situations they're in. But what they need is not money. What they need is not even recovery from addiction. What they need is Jesus. He is the answer to every question. Let me give you the third bullet. Be bold to speak uncomfortable truth. Be bold to speak uncomfortable truth. You're going to have to do this if you're going to be a witness. Let's read verses 15 through 18 together. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now we think, okay, well, bow, bow your heads. It's, it's time to have the sinner's prayer. You want it? I can tell you how. But he doesn't let her get off that easy. I mean, Jesus closed the deal. But, but he's better than we are. And he says in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. Now, Jesus has got some advantages. You don't have, you're not omniscient. <laughs> he is. <laughs> but listen, you got to check out what he's doing here. He's not going to go straight to receive this. He's going to make sure she understands. And, and more importantly, he's going to confront her sin. We got to keep reading. I keep stopping. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Wow. So Jesus, uh, he wants this woman to have living water, but he doesn't rush it. Instead, he, he confronts her on her sin. And it's interesting that she says uh, in verse 15, did you notice this? She said, uh, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. That was, this well is the very thing she took pride in before. But now she confesses she doesn't even want to be there. And you'll find this about people in sin. Those who flaunt their sin and they got so much pride in their sin, it's coming their identity and they love it and they always are glorifying their sin. Uh, deep down, many of them want to be freed from it. They don't ever want to go there again, but they... They can't admit it. Like this woman, she glories in it. Now she wants to be free from it. So Jesus says, go, call thy husband and come hither. And it's at this point that Jesus brings up the sin issue. Now Jesus is omniscient, so he knows what the sin is, but sin must be addressed. Listen, in our culture, it's kind of politically correct. It's kind of like, don't say negative things about people. And it's hard. It's not accepted well to talk about people's sin. But Jesus sees it so necessary, he says, go call your husband. Now listen, you, you don't need your husband present to receive Christ. But he's dealing with her sin. That's what the issue that's going on with. That's why he said, thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22 would say it this way, Scripture hath concluded all under sin. Why? Why is it important for all, everybody to know that they're under sin? That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So it begins with the conclusion that you're under sin. And then belief in Christ. He says in verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Here's the point. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. You've you got to understand your need for a Savior before you receive a Savior. 
Just a note to parents. Oftentimes, this is the, some of you raised your hand yesterday, said you have kids. Man, if you got toddlers, and some of you have, have had this experience already, little children can quickly understand and believe that Jesus is God in the same, kind of, same kind of way that we kind of believe that, even though we don't fully understand it. And they can believe that Jesus loves them, that he died on the cross, and that he rose again. They got childlike faith. They'll believe just about everything we tell them. The part that is usually the last piece of the puzzle for children is this conviction, this personal conviction of sin. To recognize Jesus just didn't die on the, sin, on the cross for sins. He died for my sins. To recognize that I really need to be saved. And this is where this woman is. She thinks, oh, this guy, he... He's got living water. I like the sounds of eternal life, but Jesus goes back to the sin issue. So let's read verses 19 through 24 to see how this continues. It says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He just told her about her past. She says, Oh, I perceive thou art a prophet. Verse 20, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Believe me, the, woman, uh, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what ye know not, uh, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what we find as soon as the sin issue comes up, you're going to find this. You start sharing the gospel. Listen, if you got an idea, you can, hey, uh, Jesus gives eternal life. Oh, that sounds good. Let's talk about your sin. Now we got a lot of objections. we got a lot of barriers, a lot of questions come up. And this is what she brings up her religion. Well, you know, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say we have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And here comes all the barriers and all the distractions as soon as the heart issues come up. And on the back of your study guide today, I left it for you because we don't have time to go through it. There are some barriers listed to evangelism. Some of you were thinking, man, we're never going to get through with this. That's just for you to, to take home and read and study and, and be prepared for. But we find out that this idea of, of these barriers come up all the time as soon as sin is involved. And our inclusive culture intimidates us into affirming everybody's beliefs. If you and I, if this was, if we were at the well with this woman, you would be tempted to say, well, you know, just believe what you believe and be faithful with it. Oh, well, that sounds good. I, I, you, could probably, you could probably worship there too. But there's nothing more strongly opposed to Christ than the belief that there's any other way to salvation than Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, not a way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He says exclusively, I am the option for salvation. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles would say, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we got to remember in these times, we're confronting all kinds of beliefs. This is what people like, so my world, Georgia. As soon as we start talking about saying, well, pastor, let me ask you, what do you believe about drums in church? Is it a sin to drink alcohol? Can a divorced man be a pastor? Can a woman be a pastor? All the questions start coming up. 
Well, I was raised in this church. My dad was a preacher. That's what we have all the time. And you're going to find the same. Your, your resistance there will change. The, the barriers, the questions, the roadblocks that they throw up are going to be different based on their background, their situation. But you better expect them. And you have to be ready to boldly speak uncomfortable truth. Because Jesus doesn't just let it slide. He confronts her false religion. And you've got to remember in these difficult times that you are called to be an ambassador of Christ. Not to speak what's going to put you in a good light, but to speak what the king wants to be spoken. He tells her in verse 22, ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Instead of just trying to be real inclusive and say, yeah, yeah, let's just skip this thing altogether. Jesus would refuse to affirm her beliefs. Instead, he repudiates them. Oh, well, that's not very loving. Would it be loving for her to have a false hope and go to hell? Yet somehow we think being polite or kind is loving when we don't tell people the truth. Listen, if religion could save people, listen what Galatians says in chapter 2 and verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For it's righteousness come by the law. If you could do good works, if you could keep rules, if you could be religious and be righteous, then Christ is dead in vain. He came and died for no reason if you could do it yourself. If sincere belief in, in anything is enough, well, why are so many people going to hell? This is what it says in Matthew 7. Jesus says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Listen, if, if you could just believe and be genuine in your belief. Everybody believes something. But Jesus says that most people are headed for destruction. There's a lot of things that are called Christian that aren't true according to the gospel. Sacraments, good works, baptism. Can those things save you? Of course not. If they could, Matthew chapter 7 goes on in verse 21, and Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They're talking about all the works that they do. To Jesus, Lord, they would today call themselves Christians. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, they thought the issue was the amount of good works they could do. And Jesus said, the issue is you don't know me. Listen, don't let this moment slide because it's for some of us here today, this is the reality of our life. You're here at a church camp and you're, maybe you're seeking this thing out and you're, you're trying to find out what, about this Jesus and who he really is and whether this Christianity thing is, is real, if it's worth pursuing. Or maybe you've been here in a church all your life and people would say that you're a Christian. You would tell others you're a Christian, but you're still struggling with this. Whether or not you're really saved. And I pray that you'll have the humility of this Samaritan woman. To just accept the fact that I'm a sinner and I don't care who knows about it. 
and I need a Savior and receive him today. But I got to give you your final bullet. It's continually refocus the subject to Christ. There's lots of questions, lots of barriers, lots of sidetracks that are going to happen. Jesus clearly reveals his identity as the Christ or the Messiah. Look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. You hear what she's alluding to? She understands he's telling her things she's never heard before and that nobody else knows. And so she's kind of hinting. I've heard that Messiah, no Messiah's coming and he... I've heard he's going to tell us everything. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know, John's account doesn't really go, as we go forward, it won't tell us about the specifics of this woman's conversion, her salvation experience. But the context shows the evidence of her faith. And now she's convinced of her sin. She knows who Christ is. She's ready to believe. I want you to just notice the progression that this woman goes through. First, she sees Jesus as a Jew who cares about her, who befriends her. Then she sees him as a prophet who knows all her secrets. But ultimately, she knows him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. This is where we want to bring people to. Through friendship, faith, and fellowship, we got to continually send it back to Jesus Christ. And not just in one conversation. This happened in one conversation for this woman. But all throughout this friendship that you have, and you're continually looking for ways to water that seed, you're looking for ways to bring it back to Christ. Let me give you number three in our notes. It's expand your fellowship. On each one of these phases, of of these parts, friendship, faith, and fellowship, you're going to see attrition in your number. There, most of you, not all of some of you have a hard time making friends because you're just not cool. <laughs> but most of you can have friends, right? You'll, you can get a circle of friends, but the number of people who are going to come to faith in Christ is a lot smaller. And we would expect that once, once they're saved, we're going to see them get plugged in to the fellowship of believers. But we also see attrition there. And so just be ready for that and know my job isn't over when I'm a friend with them. My job's not over when they come to faith in Christ. I want to bring them into a fellowship of believers. So let's read verses 27 through 29. It says, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot And went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. We find the woman leaving her water pot. And this is signifying she's coming back. She's got to go get some people. She's got to go tell some people about this. But she's coming back. It's not a one-time emotional decision for her. It's a life-changing conversion and it's important for her to have other people around her. You know, the beautiful thing when uh, a baby, a physical baby is born, it's not born in isolation somewhere out in the woods. God gives that baby to a family. And when people get saved, they need a family, the family of God, the local church. They need believers around them to care about them, to supply what they can't supply, to defend them against things that they can't defend themselves against because they're babies. 
And she saith to the men, it says in verse 28, not, not only is she planning to come back herself, but she, she knows she wants to tell other people about Jesus. She's building a fellowship around her by sharing the gospel. This is a beautiful thing. When you reach somebody, what's, what's beautiful? Maybe you're like me, your circle of lost people is kind of small. But when you reach somebody with the gospel, they got their own circles. And those people need the gospel too. And so you can help with them. They, they don't have to be all the way through LFBI before they share the gospel. You know that? What, what we're finding is people can share the gospel pretty early. And it may not be the, the most beautiful presentation. It may not always be the most accurate. But they can share what God has done in their life. You can supply them with scriptures that explain what salvation is. And they can open a Bible and tell somebody. That's a beautiful thing. You know, recently I was in Albania. I got to lead this uh, small group. And uh, I think I was telling Ray earlier, I, we would have a, a time when uh, one, of the, one of the girls received Christ. And I told her some of the things that changed in her life. She was explaining how she just has, she's just so happy all night. She couldn't hardly sleep. She, she wake up. She's just so happy. And her sister's asking her, hey, what's wrong with you? She's like, I don't know nothing. So she comes, she's always smiling now. And she was telling me about it, and I said, well, what happened is the Holy Spirit lives inside of you now, and, and he gives you joy. And, and one of the reasons why God gave you the Holy Spirit is to help you be a witness to others. So in this camp, there are probably some friends you have. They need to know Christ. We should pray for them. And so what happens? She, she's like, okay, yeah. Well, what do I, how do I pray? What do I do? They, I mean, these are people with no Christian background. They, they don't understand. So you just take some time, explain it. And you know what? By the end of that, she had led both her friends. Well, she brought both of her friends to the counselor after she had shared her testimony with them. And then they received Christ as well. And we see this happening where people who are young believers can share the gospel. I'm not, this isn't in my notes. So let me give you something that you can uh, get back on a track here. Uh, I do want you to know that you can't anticipate the impact that it's going to have when you share the gospel. One sinful Samaritan woman who's despised at a well. Man, it, and then she goes and she tells men, and they come, and they want to meet this Jesus. And you know, people who are, if you were like me and you came to Christ, can I just see your hand? If you came to Christ kind of as a child, you, you were, I had to say I had a drug problem. Uh, my parents drugged me to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> And through a concert of their faithful diligence to keep reading the Bible to me and keep t explaining Bible stories and singing songs with me and um, having me memorize scriptures and the work of the local church to that concert, when I was young, I received Christ. And I'm kind of predisposed to think that people are going to get saved by coming to church and somebody's going to share, you know, teach them songs and memory verses and Bible stories and then they'll be saved. But, you know, other people aren't saved that way. Somebody meets them out at, a, at their work or, or at their house, and they lead them to the Lord. And those people are predisposed to think that's the way other people need to get saved too. Okay, if you were saved like me, you were saved like through, as a child, through church, would you raise your hand? Man, God bless you. You're going to struggle. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you're going to be on the struggle bus because you're, you're natural bent is going to be to let people come to faith through their families. But the problem is there's a whole lost world out there. And you're going to have to get outside of what's natural and normal to you. Some of you were led to the Lord by somebody else outside of a church service or something, or outside of a family. 
And it's going to be a little, may use that. People need the gospel. Let me tell you about these people and we'll move on. There's a Sunday school teacher named uh, Edward Kimball. You guys know Edward Kimball? Of course you don't know Edward Kimball. He's just a Sunday school teacher, but he led D.L. Moody to the Lord. And then D.L. Moody shared the gospel with a hundred million people. At one of D.L. Moody's campaigns, his evangelistic meeting, J. Wilbur Chapman received Christ. You know him? Well, he became an evangelist that spoke to thousands. And at a Chapman meeting, Billy Sunday was saved. You know Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday is known as the greatest evangelist in the early 1900s. And in Billy Sunday's meeting, Mordecai Ham was saved. You may not know Mordecai Ham, but Mordecai Ham, at one of his meetings, Billy Graham was saved. You probably know Billy Graham. Listen, you can't understand the impact that a Sunday school teacher or just a church member can have by sharing the gospel with one person. And this is the case with this Samaritan woman in verse 39. If we can read 39 through 42, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city, many of them believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own words. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This woman was continuing this process, but then she has a fellowship of believers around her. Every Christian needs that. What you can take joy is in what when maybe you're thinking about being a church planter or a missionary, one of the beautiful things that we find is when God leads one person to the Lord, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 says that they're part of a body. So if you find a hand, there's probably an arm connected to it. And there's probably a shoulder and a chest and all the other parts of the body. All can happen through one person. But every step of this is important. You need to befriend people. You need to share the gospel. Don't just befriend people. Share what they really need. What kind of friend would you be if you let them die without Christ? But don't just share the gospel. Bring them into fellowship of believers. Every believer needs a family, a local church. We skipped a section of this, and it's when Jesus speaks to the disciples. They come back, and you heard it. They asked, why? they were wondering, what's, what's going on? But none of them had the guts to ask him, why are you talking to her? Jesus knows what's going on. If I can just tell you, if you look at verse 35, Jesus is telling them, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And that's still true for us. This world needs the gospel. And Jesus gives us a pattern to follow. So let me ask you, what's your plan Jesus must needs go through Samaria. What's your plan to meet lost people and become a friend? Listen, for me, mine was torture. T-ball. <laughs> it doesn't have to be super complicated. What, what are you going to use? How are you going to meet lost people? Maybe you already got some circles. What, what's keeping you from sharing your faith? Do you fear that you're going to be rejected? Do you fear that you, you're not going to have answers? Do you need to get training? What is it that you need? You've got to preach the gospel. 
then who are the believers around you that need to be brought into fellowship? All around us are people who claim to be believers, at least in Georgia, that aren't plugged into a church. And our job isn't just to be friends with people. It's not just to share the gospel. It's not just to bring them into faith. It's all of them. To bring them into the fellowship together. So let's pray together. Father, I love you. God, you could have picked far more faithful people to entrust with the gospel or more faithful things. But you've chosen us. God, what a privilege that you entrust it with us. So I pray for these that are in the room that you would work in their hearts and you would give them a burden for the loss, that they would love people like you love people. God, I pray that you'd help them to see opportunities to be able to befriend and then gospel uh, doors. God, I pray that you'd give them boldness as that happens. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you just a moment to pray. Would you ask the Lord to help you to be friends with lost people? Would you ask him for, for one person? And maybe there's already that person. Would you pray for them to be saved? Would you pray that God would open their eyes to the gospel? That he would convict their hearts of their sin, that he would draw them, even if it takes adverse circumstances? You know, for some in this room, as we're praying, there's some in this room that you've not yet been reconciled to Jesus Christ. You've never received the gift of living water that springs up to eternal life. Maybe you've been listening, maybe you've been wondering and considering, but this is the last day of camp, and I just want to ask you, is God drawing you to be saved? Can you feel him knocking on the door of your heart? As we have a moment of prayer, uh, I know we have pastors around. There's some of them here up in the front. Maybe you've got a friend that's with you, and they can help you out. Would you not miss this opportunity? Jesus loves you. He came to this earth he lived a perfect life, but then he died an agonizing death to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for them yourself. And Jesus makes a promise that whosoever will confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and will believe in their heart that God's raised him from the dead, that person shall be saved. That's his desire for you. Is he calling you today? Can you feel him pulling on your heart, telling you you need to be saved? I want to give you an opportunity to, to do that. Even in this moment, maybe you need to talk to somebody, maybe after this service is over, but don't let it go. Don't let the opportunity miss you. God, I thank you for our time together. I pray that you would bless it and that your will would be done in each one of our lives. We are your ambassadors.
And we seek to please you. I pray that you'll help us. Help us to be wise in this world, to walk in that wisdom, and to be faithful with your gospel. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.